they were hunting people down that worked with us previously. Yeah, like I think we hired someone to basically play Liam Neeson and try and find people. Peter Rhodes, a developer at Envato, and what he's talking about is something unbelievable that happened at Envato in 2018. It started out as a secret project that barely anybody at the company knew about, coming straight from the top. Then, when everything was in place, someone pushed the button. Welcome to Scale Up from Launch Vic. I'm Courtney Carthy, and this episode, Envato does another unique thing. Scale Up is thanks to Launch Vic. Check out launchvic.org. Launch Vic is leading the development of a globally connected startup ecosystem here in Victoria by supporting startups and investors. Check out launchvic.org. Have a look while you're listening to this episode and do let a friend know about the show too and leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. But let's get into what Envato did last year. Envato is a bootstrapped company. We covered that in a previous episode. It's owned by the founders. It employs many hundreds of people. So it's profitable, growing, largely unencumbered by the outside world in many ways that other businesses might be, like having a significantly large customer or relying on a traditional supply chain. This means they can do things differently. And one thing they did differently last year was the company profit share. Amber Johnson, Envato's HR manager, describes how she found out. So each year my team looks after profit share in terms of it's more the administration, the finance team look after all the calculations. I remember I was trying to get info about when it was going to happen because I sort of needed to put that into the planning for my team. And I wasn't really getting much much back um, in terms of timing and it, I could feel like something was going to be different with this one, but I didn't know what. Um, but it kind of was getting pushed. I guess they were sort of nutting out, you know, what they were doing. I believe it was my manager, Michelle, um, who who said, yeah, look, we're, we're, doing, we're doing something a bit different for this year's profit share. Um, Collis and the rest of the founders um, want to retro pay um, all profit share since the very beginning of Envato. All the way back to the first year, the company was profitable. Every employee who'd been there paid out their share of the profits retrospectively, regardless of whether or not they're still working at Envato. It sounded completely far-fetched for a company to do this. They don't have to do this at all, but it was decided this is what should happen. So I asked Collis Taid, CEO and one of the key people that made this happen, to take me roughly through his rationale. And I started um, thinking, how do we make it more systematic? So the second year, we increased the percentage a little bit and started thinking, actually, 5% felt like a, uh, the sort of right amount that should go back to the team, 1% to charity. And so on the third year, uh, when we began planning it, uh, we decided it should be this like more systematic thing. And if we're going to be systematic about it, shouldn't we go back and recognize the fact that there was like nine years before we institute a profit share? 
and like it's not too late to go and fix things. It's never too late to fix things. Um, so like, why don't we go back and do like a retrospective profit share to all the people who had been here? Developer Marianne Cosgrove breaks down what happened. They calculated the 5% of profits for every year from 2008 to 2017, and they distributed all of that money amongst all of the people who'd worked for the company during that time. So people who left Envato three years ago might have got a, uh, a check in the mail for their, their share of that profit. And I, I was overwhelmed by how generous that was and how, how, um, how a company would even think to be rewarding employees who had left the company earlier. I've, I'd never heard of any company doing that before. So with the decision made, Amber needs to get it all going without anybody else in the company finding out other than the people that need to know. It was pretty awesome. When I got to share it with my team, they were all like, what? <laughs> people are going to lose their mind. Well, the people who've been here for a long time are going to lose their mind or the people who haven't worked here for ages. You know, somebody may have not even worked here for like, six years and they were still getting like a good chunk of your know, money sent to them. Before that happens though, it's not so easy to hand out a bunch of money. It was then from there on, it was project planning. Like how are we actually going to do this? How are we going to reach all these people confidentially? Cause it was top secret until we announced it in one of the all hands um, meetings that we have. So how do we work on the secret project for months um, without anybody finding out? Go through a massive process of working out who worked um, at each year, during each year, and what piece of the profit they should be, they should receive for that year from the beginning. Massive project, but still very much under wraps. In the whole company, only a few people know. So, um, yeah, a couple of people in finance, a couple of people in our team, and yeah, it was, it was really confidential. And since the company has grown so incredibly fast over the 10 plus years it's been around, some employee records aren't exactly immaculate either. You know, we don't have good details of everybody who ever worked here because, you know, we've, they, you know, before I started, I don't know what kind of, you know, they, it, it was not necessary on any specific systems. And then we probably had things on a spreadsheet and then we moved things into an actual HRIS. Mm. Um, so, but for those people who haven't worked here for a long time, it was, yeah, lots of, lots of stalking to see if we can find their LinkedIn or anything like that or their current email address or their place of work and start to fill, out the, fill in those gaps so that when we do press go on sending out these letters, we've got as many details as possible. Heaps of people, hundreds, are going to get a letter soon in their inbox, a letter with a dollar figure, and many of those letters won't be to an Envato.com email account. Many staff have moved on, and it's leading up to the announcement at the All Hands. After all the tracking down and updating details, there's only days to go. Uh, we're kind of freaking out um, in terms of, because there's lots of, there's quite a few different variations of the letter, depending on if they work here or not, if they're a contractor or an employee, um, there's quite a few variations. 
Um, so it was about um, making sure that we had the right letter attached to the right list of people that would have to go out in an email. So, um, you know, we sent them all through like a digital sort of e-sign um, system um, and it was like, do we have the right CSV file that lists everybody in their email with the right letter? On the day of the announcement, things are ready behind the scenes. One thing to note about Envato here is how flexible they are with their work arrangements. So at all hands, there's cameras and a hell of a lot of people dial in to watch from home or wherever they are around the globe. Kelly Dent is one of those people in Melbourne, but at home. We have all hands. So I was watching the all hands announcement. That happens on a Monday. It's actually a day I don't work. I have my two kids on that day and I work the rest of the week. Um, but I dialed in on that day because I was told that it was going to be an amazing day to watch. <laughs> you know, to I got the hint to, to watch um, that day. And it was pretty unbelievable because we all got emails at the same time. There was a hiccup with some of the emails but that was ironed out in 15 minutes, so we won't go into that. But Julian Doherty's reaction, this specific reaction, is one I heard multiple times. I thought there was like, um, they put a zero in the wrong place. Because I was at, um, actually just at the doctor's with, with one of my kids and I was just checking my email in the waiting room. And I thought, oh yeah, proper training email, cool, what's that? Because they've done that before and I thought, cool, yeah, it'll be a bit of money. Then I looked at it like, is that right? Sitting back watching it all unfold is Amber, who's been in on this since almost the very start. He announced it all. People were just a bit like, what? A bit shocked um, and happy at the same time. Um, and then we all moved down to the kitchen where they had put out like all these nice treats and pastries and Collis's favourite water fizzy water or something <laughs> and um, uh, yeah that's when all the letters started coming out to people so they could see on their mobile phone you know their emails and stuff like what they were getting that it's you know you think people would be like ah I just won the lottery type reaction but it's just it takes a little bit of time to compute which I don't think you anticipate until it actually happens. There was a lot of effort in the preparation the emails had gone out and now it's time to get all the communication and information back. Another thing Amber's team is responsible for. The initial response that we knew we'd get was like, is this a scam? Because we had to also collect bank details from all these people, tax details. You know, it was quite a bit of an undertaking um, to first contact them, then ask them to fill out like these forms um, get those back, get those up, all their information uploaded into our system again to then go through and process all the payments. Some people, this is like, well, that's, you know, my car loan that I can pay off. That is the rest of our house deposit. That is this huge family holiday I've been wanting to take. Um, yeah, I think just put it in the mortgage, but did actually go to New Zealand for a skiing holiday, um, which cost about that much. Oh, we'd just bought a house, so I built a deck. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty great. 
Joe said, well, you know, what does it say? And I said, this is, this is the number it said. And she said, nope, that's right. And it was un- unbelievable. I remember waking up to that email and going, this must have been some kind of mistake. Couldn't have been that much. <laughs> It's pretty amazing to be where we are, still fully bootstrapped, the growth we've had and the success we've had. And, yeah, the, it's it's because of the people. Have you ever heard of another company doing that? No. No. No, because, I mean, yeah, it's like you could use that money and put it into something else. Like, it, it's a lot. Um, but... To really just use it for pure recognition um, is, yeah, really amazing. For Collis, the profit share seemed like a natural fit for him and also his faith. So there's a few things that are important to understand are that uh, in the Baha'i faith, in my religion, uh, we actually believe in the idea of profit share, that uh, people should be... Um, should see some of the value of the enterprise that they're working in. So uh, for a long time, I think, as shareholders, we talked about the idea that, you know, we should really aspire to be a company that has something like a profit-sharing thing. We're not a, um, we're a very privately held company, so there's no, like, shares to distribute or anything, but profit-share seemed like a meaningful thing. But for, I'd say, the first, like, eight, nine years, half the time we were worried about, like, whether we're going to make it or, like, you know, we'd often, I think we're arguably too nervous I want to say and I would often overbake like what we might do like I have various like slightly grandiose ideas of like oh maybe at some point we will try to like create uh, a turn the company into a mutual and like everyone will own it and like but things that are just hard to do and one day uh, my dad was just like you know why don't we just start profit sharing that seems like the simplest thing to do <laughs> you know you don't have to like uh, if you just wait to do the perfect thing maybe do nothing at all and so um we ran our first profit share i think it was like 10 years in i want to say um and we we took a portion of the profits i think it's like three percent of the, that year's profits and then we we sort of sliced it up according to kind of how much each person had done that year um and we added people who'd left already because it wasn't really about like retaining people or anything it was just trying to be fair like hey you worked here all year long the company was successful you should have some portion of that success um back and then that worked uh did a little all-hands presentation i like i always think money like alone like oh you have a few thousand dollars it's like i don't know what is that so i would try to like turn it into things you could buy with your thousand dollars or multi thousand dollars and so i had a slide deck showing various things you could do um go to this place this island you could like go parasailing you could buy a llama um and then a a short message from our cfo that you should probably pay your mortgage and (laughs) do some responsible things um i've never heard of another company doing something like that before (laughs) In, a, in such a way, do you think it, do you think Imbaba is the first? Uh, I'm sure there's some like founders who've done some oddball things over the years. Certainly every person I've encountered was like, this is weird, but like good weird. Like, um, like when you left $50 in your jacket on Friday night and you found it months later and you're like, yay! <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm ha- glad it happened. Um, so yeah, it was a very positive response. 
this is still ongoing. Like we're still finding some people. We're still hunting down some people to give them their profit share. Not many are left. There's a couple, but it's been ongoing ever since then. Thanks for listening to this episode of Scale Up. In just a minute, a little bit of what's up. Next episode, Scale Up is brought to you by Launch Vic, Victoria's startup ecosystem development agency. Find out more about what's going on in Victoria's tech startup scene by going to launchvic.org. That's launchvic.org. If you're enjoying this season, you might like either of the two previous seasons. There's one on Culture Amp, a rapid growing tech startup founded here in Melbourne and immediately global. Much of the same can be said for Redbubble. It's just been around a little bit longer and also listed on the ASX. Tell a friend about Scale Up or share it on your social accounts. Do leave a review. We read them all and it's great to hear your feedback. Coming up on the next episode. The funny thing about starting a business, right, is uh, after it's successful, you can look back and be like, oh, well, it was going to be successful. So I guess it must have been like an exciting time the whole time. But you don't know that at the time. So, you know, there's no like, um, you're, the whole time you're constantly questioning yourself. And so when it'd be bleak during sort of winter months, I'd be like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end. Maybe it's all going to go downhill from now. Maybe six months from now, I'll be standing there sacking everybody and saying, go home. But things haven't turned out. That's next episode. I'm Courtney Carthy. This is Scale Up. And thanks for listening. 